0: Amen. Thank you, Joey. Praise team. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you. That song, I appreciate it. Thank you, Robbie, for uh, causing Joey some pain early on. (laughs) I'm glad that you're here. If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, if you're visiting, we've been uh, going through and will continue to over the next few weeks going through the book of Mark. And learning about the life of Jesus, and um, this morning we're going to continue that study, Mark chapter seven, as we talk about foundations for living. Uh, you know me well enough by now to know uh, that I'm transparent, honest with you guys. I have struggled over the last couple of weeks, and our Wednesday night, uh, our Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday morning Bible study team knows this because I shared this with them this this past week. Um, I don't want to do it this morning because I'm still praying through it, but I think the Lord may be challenging our church to step up to the next level, and the next level when it comes to prayer, and possibly, at least for me, uh, as one of the pastors here, uh, we'll see if, as I continue to pray, if he wants our church to do it, but even to the level of fasting, that may be something you've never practiced before. Uh, I can tell you, I haven't practiced it a lot. But you see what is going on in our world, as Joey said, and even as, as Toby shared briefly this morning. You see the chaos and confusion in our world. And if there's not a time to pray and fast right now, I don't know when the time is. Because it looks like the car has gone over the cliff. And we are headed toward the bottom of the valley. And only the truth of God... And uh, the power of God really will save us. So I'll keep you posted on uh, as that as I continue to pray. I would ask that you pray for me. Uh, having said that, though, you look about what's going on in our world, and maybe the question comes to you. As Joey didn't even know necessarily what I was going to say to get going this morning, but maybe the question for you and I this morning is: What is our foundation? Is it a firm foundation? Or is it a shaky foundation? As I was driving in this morning listening to Christian radio, one of the guys that was talking made the comment, you look at what's going on in our world, and then you even look at what's going on at the church, and you would think, based on our response, on some of our responses, that we're a part of a shakable kingdom, and yet the Word of God says we're a part of an unshakable kingdom. I'm not saying don't pray for our leaders and be concerned, But none of what's happening should surprise us. It doesn't surprise God. And I do think over the next few weeks and months, culture is going to cause us to raise the bar. And we're going to find out, I'm going to find out, how sold out I really am for Jesus. Because some of what is said in God's word is not always pleasing to the ear. We like those verses about, oh, the peace of God that passes all understanding will comfort your hearts in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ. We like some of those verses, but some of those verses that call into the light sin and things that are happening in our world, and Scripture speaks directly contrary to some of the things that are happening in our world. Culture doesn't like to hear those things. So I would ask you this morning, as we look at this passage of Scripture to think about the question, what is your foundation on? So let's look at it together. Mark chapter 7. Uh, you're going to uh, look in your small groups after the service about another miracle of Jesus. We know that Jesus is doing all kinds of miracles. A lot of the people were following him. Last week, my friend Adrian Dupre talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And the crowd followed Jesus because they got free food. That's a good thing, isn't it? Free food. Woo! I love that free food. By the way, if you're a business leader, we got a free food Friday coming up on February the 12th here in this room. We're going to invite area business leaders to come for free food. Free food is good, but a lot of these people were following Jesus for free food. They were following him to see the miracles. And we get to chapter 7, and here's what it says. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around him, Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem. And they had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. That is unwashed hands. Now see, some of you thought hand-washing and social distancing is a new thing. Hand-washing has been being talked about since the days of Jesus. So surprise, surprise, there it is right there in the scripture. Verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they cleanse themselves there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk? Some translations say live. I like that. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat their bread with impure hands. And Jesus said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the traditions of men. He was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother he who speaks evil of the father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, anything of mine, you might have been helped by his corbin. We'll talk about that in a minute. That is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. And after he, Jesus, called the multitude to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand this. There is nothing outside the man which going into him can defile him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Let's stop right there for just a second. Interesting story. The Pharisees and the scribes are once again trying to call Jesus' teaching into question. We know as believers... That the most important foundation of the world, for the world, is the truth of God. Absolute truth. That's the first foundation I want to talk about briefly this morning. Absolute truth. This is, I believe, you might disagree with me, the Word of God. This is the absolute truth. handed down to us. Now, I want to tell you that if we continue to teach that and preach that in this church, probably in my lifetime... We're going to have people come to the church and some great things are not going to happen. I'm just going to prepare you. Part of my job, Joey's job, Heath's job, as kind of the teaching pastors, worship pastors of this church, is to prepare you and to train you. And I've been challenged over the last few weeks. Teaching us is great. Teaching us is great. But what we need is to be trained. What I need is to be trained. I can't teach you how to do a marathon. You have to train to do a marathon. I can't teach you all the things about being a disciple. We have to train how to be a disciple. We have to train to be in the army of the Lord. And I believe in the next weeks and months and years, the church of God, the church of Jesus needs to be who God's called us to be. And that is to be the army of the Lord. I'm not talking about in a radical sense. I'm not talking about not speaking the truth with love. I'm talking about preparing ourselves as men and women, soldiers in God's army, because culture is going to push against the things that we call absolute truth. They're already doing it. They're already doing it. They're going to say, well, that's your truth. I have my truth. Well, then there's no truth. If you have a truth and I have a truth, and we can come up with our own truth, then there's really no hardcore truth I believe this is the truth right here, the absolute truth of God's Word. And this is what we have to lean on. This is what we have to build our lives on, our faith on, our families on, our future on. And the Bible tells us all throughout the Scripture, especially the book of James, if we don't believe the truth, we'll be tossed to and fro like a ship on the ocean. And we'll just go over here, and we'll go over here. And my dear friends, there are going to be churches In our community, and there already are, and in our nation, who are going to compromise the truth of God for what sounds good, what sounds popular, what gets people to show up, what puts money in the offering plate. It's tempting. As long as I'm one of the pastors here, if we dwindle down to five people who believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and this is the Word of God, I guess we'll have five people. I don't think that's going to happen. I see God doing a work in our church and I'm thankful for it. So the absolute truth of God never changes. So what we have here is we have this official delegation of rulers and leaders that have come to Jerusalem to really to kind of spy on Jesus. This happened back in Mark chapter 2. If you remember when the paralytic we talked about was lowered through the roof, there were the scribes and the Pharisees leaning into the window to watch and to listen. And when they heard Jesus say, your faith has healed you, Then they started to call into question His teaching. They were just there basically to oversee and to try to find some way already the story of Jesus, which the book of Mark will be leading us to the cross and then the resurrection. Already we have in Mark chapter 2, now here in Mark chapter 7, this delegation of leaders who are trying to find fault with Jesus so that they can bring Him to trial. Already, very beginning of His ministry. Shouldn't surprise us. They're evaluating His work. They've already made up their mind about Jesus. You say, why have they made up their mind? They've made up their mind because they're judging him, not based on what the scriptures have said, because if they knew the scriptures, they would know that this is the promised Messiah of the world. But they're judging him based on what does Jesus say? Based on their, and this is the second foundation you can have, which may not be wise, they're basing it on religious Tradition. Jesus says to them, they they say to Jesus, rather, verse 5, your disciples don't walk or live according to the traditions of the elders. They're calling into question what is happening with the disciples. And tradition, by the way, is not always bad, but it can be bad. There are some great traditions. On Christmas Day, usually at our house, or Christmas Eve, our family packs up the vehicle and we go down to the black and yellow building and we walk in there and there's the smell of hash browns and waffles being made. And amen, amen. We're getting spiritual now, aren't we? Waffle house. Waffle house. Praise the Lord. Let's just have a moment. Amen. Amen. That's a great Christmas tradition for us. There's not all traditions are not necessarily bad. We have a tradition I, I've learned in my a little over a year here at Crossroads, we have some traditions in our church. We have a Christmas Eve candlelight service, a great tradition. Not all traditions are bad. So what's the deal with this tradition? Well, these, these Pharisees and the scribes begin to talk about Jesus and say, the problem with your disciples is here they are eating and they have not cleaned, they have not washed their hands. Now, I would vote For washing your hands before you eat. I I would vote for that if we had a vote. I would vote for if your hands are dirty to wash your hands. But they're not talking about washing their hands to get them clean. They're talking about washing their hands as some kind of ritual. Because the reality is, just washing their hands the way that they ritually washed their hands in that day really didn't get their hands clean. It was more of a, of a ritual that they would go through. And because the priest had practiced this, the Pharisees started going, well, we need to practice that if the priest are practicing that. We need to do that as well, and we need to start washing. And so this hand washing this being described as really just ceremonial hand washing, it's a lot like what we do, uh, Joey and Gretchen, Uh, Lord willing, and Peyton's not here this morning, when we go to Malawi, Africa, Lord willing, you pray for us. There's some question just about what's going on with COVID and all that travel. Lord willing, if we go in March, we do the same thing. When we're in the villages, they will bring out a little pot, and they'll bring out a little pitcher. And you'll stick your hands over the pot and they'll take that pitcher and they'll pour that water. I have no idea where that water comes from. No idea. Don't ask. Don't want to know. But they will wash your hands and you'll kind of do this and you'll do this. And to them, guess what? You're clean. Not but at least you went through the process of looking like you're clean. In the Dominican Republic, for those of us who went and came, came back uh, at, between Christmas and New Year, same thing. You're in the garbage dump. People there are thirsty. They find a dirty bottle over in the garbage. They pick it up. They come over to the clean water at the truck. They put a little bit of water in there. They rinse it around like this and they pour the water out. And to them, their dirty container is now clean. It's kind of the same thing that's going on right here. It's a ritual. And so the Pharisees and the scribes are saying, Jesus, what's the deal with your disciples? They haven't followed our little ritual of cleaning. And what they would do is, if you study this, is they would take the amount of water that would fill up about one and a half eggshells, and they would walk over above a bucket, and they would pour this water over your hands, and they would let it run down the hand. And they would kind of do this, and they would take their fist and kind of clean And then they pour it down this, and they take their fists and kind of clean. And then they hold their hands like this, and they pour the same amount on their hands and let it run back into the the pot. And ta-da, my hands are clean. So it was a ritual that they went through. So they're picking on these disciples. They even had a, a prayer, if you're interested. They even had a prayer that they would pray while they were going through this ritual to demonstrate that their hands were clean. It was a tradition. These washings were commanded by tradition, not by Scripture. And it was such a big deal. Listen, it was such a big deal. If you didn't do that, if you were the rabbi or the priest, and you were caught and you didn't do that, then you were excommunicated from the church if you were caught. Not washing that way. Okay, you're out. I read stories this week of some of the rabbis that had scarcity of water, And if they had to choose between the ceremonial washing or drinking water to save their life, they would save the water for the ceremonial washing. There were stories of rabbis who had passed away because they had water there to drink, but they wouldn't do it because of this ritual. And they were celebrated as heroes for that great sacrifice of denying themselves this water for drinking, and yet... Saving it, this ration of water to be used for ceremonial cleansing. Now, we, we read that in 2021 and we look back on that and we're like, those guys didn't have a lot of, you know, a lot of lights in the chandelier. <laughs> Why would they do that? Why would they sacrifice water when they're about to die for this ritual that really was not important? It really was a ritual. Why would they do that? It's easy for us to look at these religious leaders and think that this whole culture was really ignorant. Maybe they were phony because they had such an emphasis on traditions like this. But what's the problem is we don't realize how subtly these things happen. Many rituals or traditions seem to be built on this unshakable logic. I mean, let's, let's walk through probably what they were thinking. Doesn't God want us to honor Him in everything that we do? Well, yeah. De- didn't God command the priest... To wash their hands before serving Him? Well, of course. Shouldn't every faithful follower of God want to have the same devotion as the priest? Well, well, sure. Isn't every meal sacred to God? Doesn't God say, who may ascend to the holy hill of the Lord? Only one who has clean hands and a pure heart. So when you ask the questions that way, we all would go, well, yes, 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 yes. And then we have supported this tradition and not the truth of God's Word. Not absolute truth, but a tradition. Church family, this is is important. Because all across our land, even in churches, there are traditions that over time have been equated with equaling the weight of the Word of God. And it's very, very subtle that that can happen. If in the end you have the word of a man and the tradition of a man and the ritual of a man and you give all that the same weight as the inspired word of God, you are in trouble. And be careful because, again, it's happening all over America in churches. Well, he's a pastor who led me to Jesus. He's been here for 50 years. He's the president of blah, blah, blah. Well, shouldn't he? we want to be as devoted as him? He does this, so that must be right. So, and the next thing we know, we're actually following tradition. We're not even following the truth of God's Word. And what happens is we confuse what we do as a disciple with tradition and not what God's Word teaches us. If we had a little test this morning and we had little things on there, some of which were tradition and some of which were truth in fact from God's Word, would we know the difference? Because our culture is very quick at helping us concede tradition to God's Word. What happens is, and what Jesus says to them in verse 6, is they begin to equate truth or equate tradition with truth. And Jesus says this to them, Really? Did did, uh, Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? That's some strong language from Jesus. In Bible days, when Jesus would use that word, and he uses it a number of occasions in his ministry when he's talking to people, hypocrites were almost like actors on the stage that would wear a mask. And he calls them hypocrites. Which mask are you wearing today, basically, is what he's saying. We've got to be careful because we, we can do that in the church. There's a great tradition in most Baptist churches. Let me tell you what it is. We come in the door and people go, "How are you doing?" I'm fine. I'm fine. That that's kind of a tradition. Sometimes it's true that we're fine, and sometimes it's true that we're not fine. We get in the habit, and when we do that, we fail. So Jesus gives them the priority. He says to them in verse 8, Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the traditions of men. And Jesus gives them an example. In, In case they kind of missed it, He gives them an example. Here's how you have fallen to the tradition of man and not... Followed the scripture of God. The scripture of God says, honor your father and your mother as long as you both, as you live, take care of your mom and dad. And what had happened in this culture was the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious people had convinced some of them. With their oral oral teaching, well, anything like that that you could give to support the work of the church, or you you could give to support the work of God, you should give that to the church and support the work of God, and let God take care of your mother and your father. That sounds kind of legitimate maybe. But then when you read history and you find out what they did was, they would say that, which is called Corbin, that word Corbin, they would say, no, I'm not going to take care of my mom and dad because that's God's, that's Corbin. And then the truth of the matter is, if you follow out what they actually did, they never did give it to the church. It became an excuse not to take care of their mom or dad. And Jesus is saying, here you have supposedly followed in this tradition... You're not going to give to your mom and dad. Okay, you're going to just leave them for God to take care of. And you're going to give your your finances to the church. But you're not even doing that. You've exchanged tradition for what the command of God is, which is clear. And Jesus says in verse 13, Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And he says, you do many things like that. That's just one example he says I'm going to give you. So church, we have to be careful because in our world, it is very easy. And even in our church, sometimes it might be easy to lean on tradition. Tradition is not always bad, but when we equate tradition with the word of God, that's where we have trouble. And Jesus quotes Isaiah there talking about, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, he's saying, you have a tradition You're moving your lips traditionally, but you're not honoring God with your heart. You say, Jack, what what might he be saying? He might be saying, you read your Bible, but your heart is far from me. You pray eloquently, but your heart is far from me. You come to church on Sunday, but your heart is far from me. You raise your hands in worship, but your heart is far from me. You go to a small group, but your heart is far from me. You see how subtle? Those aren't bad things. None of those are bad things. But if they seep into becoming a tradition or a ritual or a habit, which happens in the South, and there's no heart engagement, then we have exchanged the commands of God with tradition or ritual. I have a friend of mine. He was a pastor one time. Best five days of his life, he said. Just kidding. Make sure you're awake. And he said he was walking in the sanctuary one time, and uh, he had a styrofoam cup. And he walked into the sanctuary, and somebody came up to him and said, "Pastor, we don't we don't have we don't have styrofoam cups and beverages in the sanctuary." And he said, "Okay." He said, "Out of respect, I was new." Had respect, I finished drinking it, I went and threw it away. He said, what I didn't want to tell this person is that Wednesday night at choir practice, they basically had a restaurant in the sanctuary. There was coolers, there was there were styrofoam cups, there was sub sandwiches, there was potato chips, they had a buffet. Tradition. Say, Jack, do you want to turn our sanctuary into a restaurant? No, no, no. I mean, I'm a little old school in that. I think the sanctuary, we should take care of it. Does it bother me if somebody's drinking out of a styrofoam cup? No. You know why? The sanctuary of God is right here. This is a building. I'm not saying defile it. I don't want us to have wrappers all over the place and trash in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. We need to take care of it. We need to be a good steward. But folks, this is not the sanctuary. The sanctuary of the Holy Spirit lives right here in me. But our traditions can sometimes make us think, well, we've got to take care of the sanctuary. And you're right. And Jesus actually goes on to say this. If you finish reading the end of this story, he starts trying to explain the verses we didn't get to. Thereafter, uh, 17, 18, 19, 20, the disciples, Jesus even says to the disciples, they go, explain this again. And Jesus says to the disciples, well, hello, you don't get this? What defiles a man is what comes out of here, out of the heart, out of the heart. So we have to be careful on traditions. It it would be bad enough for us to add the commandments of men to the word of God. But what these religious hypocrites are doing is they were going the next step. They were rejecting the commands of God in exchange for the traditions of man. So here's a question I wrote down in my notes to ask myself today. How well do I know the commands of God? Because if I don't know them real good, then I'm going to be tempted. And the Bible says swept away with every wind of doctrine. Because I'm not going to know the commands of God very well. I've got to be in God's Word. I've got to know His truth. So we have to be careful with tradition two more quickly that I'll share as I was thinking about this and we will be done. The third one is convictions. Convictions. You don't see that word in this passage. But one of the things that I thought about this week as I was reading this is when you and I encounter the truth of God's word, it should motivate us to action. And many times those actions create in us convictions. And if you have never written down a handful of your personal convictions, I would encourage you this afternoon, church family, when you get home, write down what are some of your personal convictions. What are some things that you would draw a line in the sand and the demons of hell would have to drag you across that line for you to compromise? What are some of those convictions? Because we all should have some. And those convictions that we have are based on our own personal impression Of what God's Word says to us. We're not coming up with our own truth. But it is our own impression and our own conviction of what God says to us. Let me give you an example. Dr. Billy Graham. He was a hero of mine. Never got to meet him. But I went to one of his crusades. Williams-Brice Stadium. The best stadium with the best... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Went, Went there again. Best university. Sorry. I'm sorry. But I went to one of his... Crusades there in that stadium, 75, 80,000 people on that day. And I know from hearing him speak and reading some of his material in his autobiography, one of Billy Graham's personal convictions was that he would never get in an automobile with a female. He would never get into an elevator with just him and a female. Now, as a young 15-year-old kid, when I went to that crusade, I thought, well, that's kind of stupid. And Billy Graham's been gone to be with the Lord for many years. And as far as I know, there's been no scandal. There's been no, after his passing, revelation about things he was involved in. There's been none of that. Why? Because he lived a spotless life as much as possible. Was he sinless? No. But he put parameters around him to protect his reputation. And when somebody asked him, Dr. Graham, why in the world would you... That's a lot of trouble. If you go fly into a city and do a crusade and the only person they've got to come pick you up at the airport is a female, what are you going to do? He goes, well, I'm going to wait until they can send a, a man to come pick me up. Or Billy Graham, why, you know, you don't get an elevator, I'll take the next one up. Or Billy Graham, you, you, you and your team goes into a city and you have all the televisions taken out of the hotel rooms. Why would you do that? And he said, because God's word says, flee immorality. God's Word says, have clean hands and a pure heart. God's Word doesn't say, take the TVs out of every hotel room. God's Word doesn't say, don't ride in the car with a female. But those are personal convictions based on what God's Word says for me. Smart man. Smart man. Our convictions... By the way, we'll back up what God's Word says. Billy Graham's convictions might not be your convictions. You may not feel that way, and that's okay, because God's Word's not clear about that. God's Word doesn't say, don't get in the car with a female. But that's his personal conviction based on his time that he has spent with God. I hear some people use the word incorrectly. They'll say things like, well, I'm really convicted that I don't need to share my faith. If your convictions go against the absolute truth of God's word, guess who's wrong? And my friends, I I, I say this to you with love in my heart this morning, to prepare us as a church for what is coming in culture and actually already has been around a long time. Maybe we're just now waking up to it. That there are people out in our world who don't know Jesus who will use words like that. Well, I'm personally convicted that this is the way I feel about myself today. Well, that's not what God's Word says. And if your convictions contradict God's Word, He's right and you're wrong. Here's the last one, and we'll wrap up. The last one is this. Another foundation people can stand on is personal preference. Personal preference. I think we all know what that one is. Personal preference. There are churches over the years... Who have imploded and exploded because of a debate on personal preferences. Thank God this is not one of those churches. Personal preferences are things like the color of the carpet or the kind of songs that we sing, worship choruses or hymns. Really? When this debate was going on in the 80s and 90s and I was a 20, 30 year old age person, I would shake my head going, really? You are complaining about how you're going to praise the creator of the world? You're debating, am I going to use hymns or worship choruses? And there are some churches that did it and exploded and imploded. This isn't going to be one of those churches. Personal preference on you know, where we meet. The times that we meet, the places that we meet. Folks, those are all personal preferences. Even in our church that I love with all my heart, Crossroads, there are things that we do that if you ask the pastor, is this your personal preference? You know what I'd say? No, not really. And you know what? That's okay. There's no way that we can achieve making everyone's personal preference happen on a given Sunday. And if that's what you're waiting on, Going to be waiting a long time. <laughs> if that's what I'm waiting on. I'm going to be waiting a long time. Personal preference. It's okay to have personal preferences. There's some Mexican restaurants I like and some Mexican restaurants I don't like. all comes down to the guacamole. <laughs> I, I, I share that and I, I like for you to laugh because I can get so serious sometimes that my wife tells me, smile. Because I love you. But folks, I see our culture and where we're headed. And I can only hope and pray that we, we are prepared. I, I don't get fearful very often. The one thing that I'm a little fearful of is are we And not just Crossroads, but every Bible-believing church. Are we ready? According to the Scripture. This is not according to Jack. But what the Scripture says is coming as Jesus' return gets closer and closer. Are we ready? And the only way I know to be ready is saying, Okay, I'm going to lay aside my personal preference. I'm going to develop the convictions that I need to have based on what the absolute truth says. And if tradition goes along with absolute truth, great. If it contradicts absolute truth and keeps me from achieving the mission of God, then I'm going to have to question that tradition. On Christ the solid rock I stand. This is the book where we hear and where we get to know that Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the foundation of this church. Long before I ever showed up, God made a commitment to stand on the inspired and truth of Your Word. And today, Lord, maybe in a sense we just need to recommit ourselves to that, because culture is coming in so many ways already. It has contradicted. It's pushing against what the truth of your word says. So there's no your truth and my truth. It really is the truth. And you tell us in your word, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So thank you for that. Church family, while you're praying, if you know the Lord, I just ask you to pray for those maybe who don't. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the truth of Christ... Maybe you're trying to find that foundation that is rock solid and not like the sands of the ocean kind of shifts under your feet. I just want to let you know you've come to the right place. And this morning I would ask you to call upon Jesus. Just call out to Him. Say, Lord, I I need you to be my foundation. I confess to you that I'm trying to do this on my own. My ways aren't your ways. I'm a sinner. And you're the Savior. And I just call out to you right now and ask you to save me. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. I'll be hanging around. My friend Heath will be hanging around after our service. Just grab one of us. Just say, hey, I I gave my life to Jesus today. I'll be standing down here also in the front here in just a minute As we sing a song of invitation If you need to pray this morning And church family For the rest of us who know the Lord Maybe this morning we need to recommit ourselves To the absolute truth of God's word Maybe this morning we need to begin if we haven't started On coming up with the convictions of our heart Things that are non-negotiable for us that have come from our relationship with Jesus and what God's Word says to us. Father, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning. We'd respond in obedience to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to have an invitation hymn, which simply is a song, to invite you to respond to what God said to you this morning. If you want to come down front and kneel and pray or speak to me, uh, I'd be happy to talk to you this morning. Let's, Let's sing together.